evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. It's good to see you all. We're glad that you're here. How are the youth doing? That was big. Give it one more try or we'll just have to make you stay around here. How you doing, youth? That's a, that's a little better. Praise the Lord. You guys are going to have to get some guys rounded up here. And uh, the girls' voices are pretty high. You all can be dismissed. Praise the Lord. Give them a hand as they head down to their youth meeting. <laughs> Glory to God. Greet somebody, three or four people around you. Hug their neck. Do whatever. Tell them you're glad that uh, they're here tonight. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Um, if you haven't signed up for the golf tournament yet uh, or really uh, got in involved where you can uh, really donate to that, uh, the golf tournament's next weekend. And all the proceeds of that golf tournament are going uh, for uh, the medical bills uh, for Dan and Cindy Maynard. Uh, Cindy, again, I know most of you know this, but she's a lead teacher for our three-year-olds. And uh, her husband, Dan, uh, contracted COVID, and he was uh, really out, totally out of commission for a number of months. Uh, Y'all have been praying. Others have been praying. And he is in rehab at Rifle right now and uh, doing much better. Um, but quite a burden. So all that's going to help them with their medical bills. So um, praise the Lord, you can get involved in that. And as we said this morning, Matt and Rose Lindquist, pastoring in Venue Church in Steamboat, here on uh, October 2nd, they're having the fall festival that they have up in Steamboat Springs, and they want to get involved and be active in their community. And so, uh, you know, they're just beginning the, uh, with their church, and so we're connected with them. So they said, anybody who wants to come up to Steamboat, which why wouldn't you, uh, at the beginning of October, the colors will be great, it'll be awesome, and then also help uh, to help that church uh, get out there, be influenced. If you do face painting, you can give out water, you can share the gospel, you can help with anything. Uh, you can get involved in that. You can go to www.venuechurch.info and uh, sign up, and they'll tell you where you can help with that. And um, is Kat, no, Cassie's down at uh, Awana. Uh, but Cassie uh, and Jerry Haskell said if you uh, need a ride, you want to go, but you don't have a, a way to get up there, uh, you can carpool with them or uh, get a ride with Cassie if her car's not already full. And so we'll help them, and that will be awesome. Praise the Lord. If you weren't here this morning or weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, I want a tax receipt for your giving. Raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. If you're joining us online and you'd like to give, you can go on to our website and uh, push that giving tab. It'll lead you all through uh, being able to give. We appreciate your generosity and all that it does, not only right here in Glenwood Springs, but in the region and around the world. And so we're we're uh, incredibly thankful for your generosity, and others are thankful for your generosity. And so I believe the scripture is just fulfilled that when you're generous, people see that, whatever uh, God does through your generosity, and they look up to God and say, thank you, Jesus. And it's all because of your generosity. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, we ready? Oh, yes. Next Sunday night, bring a friend. Nazareth is going to be with us. Uh, he, he's 
funny. He's a comedian, but he also has an evangelistic anointing. So bring somebody. Let's fill the place up and, and really fill it up with yourselves. But next to you, bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Anybody here know somebody who doesn't know Jesus? All right, there's a few of you that only know Christians. But so if you only know Christians, just go down on the street in Glenwood and meet somebody and ask them, are you a Christian? If they are, say, good to meet you, and then just move on. And as soon as you meet somebody who's not a Christian, say, hey, would you like to come to church with me on Sunday night? And just understand this. You don't have to do anything except for have them come. Just tell them there's a comedian, and come on out on Sunday night, and let the anointing on his life do the rest. Let him minister to their heart. Don't try to outfigure God whether they'll like it or not. Just bring them and let God be God. And uh, you'll be amazed at what God can do if we just go ahead and deliver the message, bring somebody, uh, it'll be awesome. And so that'll be great. Glory to God. Where were we? We are going to pray over the offering. All right. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give, to enter into covenant uh, acknowledgement and relationship with you. And so, Father, as each one gives tonight, we declare, command the blessings of the word of God to come upon them. That the windows of heaven will be open pouring out blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, that you will rebuke the devourer for their sake so that the things that are planted in their life will not be devoured, but they will come to fruition. Their barns will be filled with plenty. Their vats will overflow with new wine. God, there will be such resource in their life to be a blessing wherever you tell them to be generous and to give. It will change people's lives and give thanksgiving to you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, before we get into the word tonight, um, we have some special guests with us, and so we're celebrating 40 years. We're just going to keep going as long as people show up. We'll just kind of add to uh, and add to that. But, you know, about 30 years ago, uh, Scott and Sue came on board uh, working with the youth right in the transition of Pastor Craig and Sharon and us. So they were right in the middle uh, working uh, with Pastor Craig and Sharon, then working with us. And then uh, they went to mission school and did some things in missions. Then they established a church in Wisconsin. And then uh, just a few years ago, God led them into really taking up the mantle, if that's the way I'd say it, for uh, their mom and dad, brother and sister Beerman, and they have been expanding Beerman Ministries in such a dynamic way in all of the world. And I could explain to you what I know, but I'd really like them to come and greet you, tell them what they're doing, because they're back the best that they can. They're back in the field uh, ministering to people, not only in the States, but overseas where things are open. And uh, sometimes doors get closed, but other times they're open and they're moving. Uh, and so come tell people what you're doing so they can be praying with you and um, give them a hand as they come. And make sure you introduce Megan because she's right there with you. We don't want to leave Megan. Megan, in fact, I'll introduce Megan, stand up. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Megan is their daughter. Megan, many of you know Megan because she was here. She lived here for a while and uh, uh, with us and around here and served here. And praise the Lord. She loves to be noticed by people. And so that's why I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to call her out specifically. <laughs> she does it. She's pretty shy. There you go. Good to see you. Yeah, I love you guys. Uh, good, good to, to see, see you. you. I actually, he told me they were coming. And I totally spaced it out till I saw him right here. But <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Mark's voice sounds a little bit low. He must have been preaching. <laughs> oh, well, it's good to be with you tonight. It's good. It's always good to come and 
we were in Grand Junction this morning, and we thought, well, we got an evening, and we want to come over, and we, any chance we can, and be here with you guys, and so that worked out, and we could be with you tonight, and uh, so thank you for support, uh, for your prayer, thank you for the, we just feel like this is home, this is family, and we've received a lot from this place, and continue to receive, and the relationship that we have here with Pastor Mark and Tasha, and, and um, the supply that's there, we're, we're, we're very grateful for it. And, um, you know, we have been shut down this last year uh, with, with uh, COVID, haven't been able to do some traveling, but um, we were able to make a trip to Turkey. I was able to go, and uh, we teamed up with uh, some Iranians, some Iranian refugees who are actually mobilizing and passing out New Testaments in Farsi um, in um, Istanbul. And, you know, Turkey is one of the least evangelized nations in the world. But um, God has got a plan, and some of that plan is that Christian Iranians are going into Turkey. And God is able to, uh, you know, through their life, through their witness, be able to bring a, a Christian witness uh, into Turkey. And so we're, we're excited about this new network that we have. And Iran has probably enjoyed the, some of the fastest growth to Christianity in the world. And, uh, you know, Afghanistan, they said, is the second fastest growing church. And uh, now these Christians have been displaced. We need to be praying for the Christians that are still there. Um, they're being hunted now. It's, it's um, just, it's, we just, we thank God for his deliverance plead the blood of Jesus over them. Um, the ones that are going out are, are getting out of that country are spilling out into the, the surrounding nations that are Muslim. And you know, that's just whatever, whenever persecution comes, the church grows. And so we're, we're thankful for, for that. But um, we're excited that uh, God is using his people even in the midst of the COVID, would you like to tell me about what happened last year with, um, with in Nepal? Okay. okay. Um, so in Nepal, so what, what the Lord has led us in, in our focus is reaching unreached people groups. And so Matthew 24, 14 is the scripture that he put on our heart as our focus and our theme for what he's called us to do in um, that there will be a witness in every nation, every nation meaning ethnos, every people group in the world. Um, and I like one translation I read from this morning in the Passion said, a demonstration, amen, of God in every people group. And then the end shall come. Do you feel like the end is coming? <laughs> to this age. And so we know Jesus is coming back. And we know that there's about 7,000 unreached people groups yet to have a witness for Christ. And the Lord has given missionaries all over the strategy of, um, of 2 Timothy 2.2 of training the nationals of the indigenous believers in these areas of the last frontiers, we call them. Last frontiers are usually places that are hostile to the gospel today, and that's why they're the last frontiers. So um, places that Islam is a stronghold and Hinduism, Buddhism. And uh, so God is really moving 
and you don't hear that on the regular news, but it's an exciting time we live in. It's surreal, um, especially for us as Americans looking at our nation. I mean, we talk about how we feel like we're in a third world country here, home sometimes, because we can't get supplies. You know, gas is really expensive. It's just a strange time. But I get excited when I look at the stats and um, think about that there are eight billion people alive on the earth today. There has never been that many people alive at one time on the earth. It blows your mind when you think about it. And then to think about that just less than 200 years ago was the first time that we ever went over a billion people alive on the earth at one time, just less than 200 years ago. And now we're up at eight billion. So there is the biggest harvest before us that ever has been. And so wherever we go, we hear the Holy Spirit saying, all hands on deck, all hands on deck. God needs every believer to take their place, amen, in advancing his kingdom and the earth and bringing in that great harvest. And so in that way, it's an exciting time to see signs, wonders, and miracles. So that was a long way around to what you asked me to talk about, wasn't it? So in Nepal, we couldn't go last year, and we still can't go. You know, they'll call us every once in a while and go, it's open, it's closed, it's open, it's closed. And um, we kind of don't want to get stuck over there <laughs> when it's closed, and it could be closed for a long time. Um, so we haven't been going. But the guys that we have trained, the Lord put that on our heart, train the indigenous people, multiply the workers. And um, so a lot of them just were not discipled, and a lot of them just saw themselves as receivers of missionaries. And so we get to just light the fire, give them God's vision, and empower them to go, to raise their money, to send their missionaries. You know, they have a whole lot less hurdles to, to overcome than we do as Westerners. Um, just as an example, and I know you guys hear from Tony all the time, Tony Haskell, but there's 250, over 250 different people groups in Nepal with over 100 different languages. So there's some barriers, and big ones for us being Westerners, um, but those guys can cross them a whole lot easier. So last year, we had um, teams, Nepali teams, going out, even under lockdown. Really, the cities were really locked down, but in the remote areas, people were still able to move around. And um, so last year, they planted 33 churches during COVID. Hallelujah. And we weren't even there. <laughs> no Westerners were there. It was just, you know, God, God's moving through the people there. And so it's just exciting to be a part. We're so grateful to have God connections. We love you guys so much. I was thinking about working in the preschool when I was here. And um, we were just newly married, Scott and I. And he was working at the ski shop. So we were doing the youth, but then we were working secular jobs. I was working in the preschool. You were working at that little ski shop. And he'd come home needing some love and affection from his new bride. And I was like, don't touch me. <laughs> I've had children crawling up my nose all day long. <laughs> and Scott said, he goes, I think you need a different job. So then they put me in the office instead of the preschool. <laughs> we love you guys. And congratulations, 40 years. Wow, 
praise God. Look at what the Lord has done and so much more. Yeah. Give them a hand. Praise the Lord. We're so glad for what they're doing around the world. 33 churches, and you don't even have to be there. Now that's missions. That's training leaders going in and uh, getting that taken care of. And so praise the Lord. That is awesome. Open your Bibles with me to Romans, the 10th chapter. We have been uh, spending Sunday night um, talking about healing in a number of different ways and really more than just having healing meetings, endeavoring to instill by the word of God that healing is God's plan. And you know, one of the things about that is certainly there's always people um, within our, our midst that we need to continue to pray for and see healing take place in their body. But I believe that, uh, you know, and it has been prophesied that this will be a healing place. Now, I remember when I first was just coming into uh, the Word, you know, I'd been saved for a couple years, but you know my testimony. I, I got saved. People just said, you're going to heaven, and I thought there was more to it, um, but there, you're going to heaven, once saved, always saved. And I thought, man, there's just something more to this. And Pastor Mark Brzee was a youth minister at the time, and he came into my life and started talking about camp meeting, people getting healed and, and delivered and raised up. And I thought, man, this is, this is what God has done. God, it's not just about getting to heaven. It's about something going on right now and right here. And so over a period of time, you know, I just, I got a hold of that. You know, he said, uh, Mark, uh, Mark 16, he said, you know, these signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. These signs will follow them that believe. Not just the minister at the big venue, but these signs will follow them that believe. And so, really, at that point in time, I didn't even know what to believe. I just thought, this is really cool. And so, laid hands on my friends in high school when they'd say that they were sick or had a headache, and God would just heal them, just that childlike faith. But, you know, if we're going to be a healing place, it's not necessarily just about meetings, but it's about believers going out and knowing that this is the will of God and how we navigate our lives by faith. So when we run into people who are, are broken, uh, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, they need some restoration that we begin to know that we are really able by the word of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to minister to them. And, you know, we've been praying on Monday and, and uh, Saturday night, and through some of that time in praying, really just uh, uh, really believing God as we, as we pray those prayers of Paul, that God would grant unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. You know, just a, a couple of Saturday nights ago, just really came up in my, my heart as we were praying to begin to pray out just a revelation of the application of the blood. A revelation of the application of the blood. If that stirs you at all, then, you know, uh, you know we're going to share some things, but, you know, get uh, Mark Hankins' bloodline of a champion. Uh, he does great, probably one of the best teachers in all the body of Christ on the blood of Jesus. But, you know, sometimes whether it's we get sick or our life is broken, we're wounded in some way, we're trying to figure out, we're trying to pray and say, well, you know what, God, I, I went to church and I prayed and I did this and I did that. And all the time, it's really just knowing how not to tell God what you've done to try to fix this or what happened to you, but really understanding what Jesus has done and how we take the blood of Jesus and we apply it to that situation that we're dealing with. 
Because it's not of our own works. It's not how much we prayed or how much we gave or how much we attended or how much we served. Thank God for all of those things. We do that from a place of faith. We do that in serving God and his body, serving others. But really, when we come to that point, the enemy wants us to say, but look, God, I've done a lot of things and I deserve. Well, you know, thank God grace is not what we deserve. But when we come and say, listen, this stuff is happening. And I know that Jesus died to pay the price. And the blood was shed to redeem my life from everything that the enemy endeavored to do to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And so he redeemed my life by his blood. And so when the devil starts to mess with our lives in any way, we need to know how to apply, or as Pastor Tasha said a couple weeks ago, plead the blood. Plead the blood. Instead of scrambling and like the devil's attacking, what did I do wrong? What am I going to do from here? To stop for a moment and say, wait a minute. Devil, I don't belong to you anymore. You have no legal right to access my life. I don't belong to you. I was bought at the price of the blood of Jesus. And I accepted that price and Jesus is now my Lord. Sin is not my Lord. It doesn't master over me. Jesus is my Lord because he shed his blood, and his blood was the price. Right? So it's just a subtle thing how we get over into I did and I do and I've done to try to fix something that's going wrong. But when it's simply understanding that we can come and say, listen, devil, you've come and you're messing with my body you're messing with my mind. You're messing with my family. You're messing with my life. And really, to understand by faith, you have no right to be here. You used to mess with my life because I belong to you. I was sold under sin. But I heard about Jesus. And I accepted the price paid for my life. And I'm no longer a slave of sin. But I'm a child of God. Come on. And when we know how to apply that, the devil cannot cross that barrier. He cannot cross into that territory if we know that. Because he has no right there. He has no right there. So when we start to say, listen, you have no place in my home. My home belongs to him. Right? One of those, one of those aspects of understanding this is totally not in anything where I was going to go, but praise the Lord. So, you know, uh, we, we sometimes, you know, get nervous when we talk about giving. But that's one of the, the, the things about tithes and offerings, right? We're acknowledging that everything that I have belongs to God. So when my finances belong to God, I begin to realize, now, wait a minute. My house belongs to God. Everything that I have, I'm in covenant relationship. Now, just think of it this way. When the enemy comes to break all the pipes in your house and cost you a lot of money and all that stuff, and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not my house. This is God's house. This property belongs to God. And so at this property line, devil, you just need to stop at this property line. Come on now. When you're feeling like you need to push him away, that's one thing. But even on a casual day, be aware, don't bring him in. Don't invite him in one day and then tell him he can't come in the next. 
Just decide. My house, my life, my wife, my kids, my dog, my appliances, they belong to Jesus because I'm in covenant. My job, it's a place where God's called me, right? And so I have influence here. So you can't mess with the people that I work with. We start pleading the blood, having a revelation of the blood. Not so much what we can do of our own strength, but what he's already done. And now we can begin to apply it and walk in it, knowing when the enemy comes, listen, he can't do that. He has no legal right to my life unless I don't know how to apply the blood. If I give him access to my life, then he'll take every advantage. But if I stop and say, no, no, you can't come in here. I belong to him. Right? And that's the whole, whole thing about the blood is he purchased your life. He purchased my life. And when we accepted the price paid, right? You were sold under sin. I was sold under sin. But when you accepted Jesus Christ, you said, be my Lord. Well, what does that mean? Be my master. So we don't like that in America today, but it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing because you're going to be mastered by something. Might as well be mastered by Jesus. And so technically when you say, I want to be saved, come in and be the Lord of my life, what you're saying is you paid a price for the one who had me enslaved just like a slave owner, you paid the price necessary, and so you bought my life out of the slavery of sin. You bought my life into righteousness with you. Now you're the Lord and master. And he begins to develop our life, transform our life, and then give delegated authority so that we can begin to live life as sons and daughters of God, just like him. He's a good master, right? When we're going the wrong direction, he'll, he'll every now and then snap the slack out of you and say, no, don't be going over there. Listen to me. I'm your master. Don't let your flesh be your master. But when we're giving it all to him, he'll say, now, listen, you can go do that all by yourself. And when the devil comes, you just take authority over him. And when he says, no, you can't do that, you say, yes, sure, I can. On the basis of the blood that was shed. Amen? So Romans chapter 10 You know, almost every aspect, uh, like 70% of the uh, Gospels where we see somebody was saved, their faith made them whole. And so our faith when it comes to healing is uh, really incredibly important and, and really developing that faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us is important. So Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus or Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so, again, I know most of you know this, but we want to get it a, a, a better understanding as we run into different instances and how the enemy moves in, in different things in our culture, in society, right? How many, of you, how many of you saw COVID coming? No. So when all of a sudden COVID showed up, we were all 
you know, a little apprehensive. What's going on? What do we do next? How do we do that? And so even though we had faith in God, we knew that, we got caught a little bit by surprise. So the enemy's always looking around, seeking whom he may devour. And so it's always good at different times in different seasons to look back and say, oh, yeah, this is where my faith is. And so our faith is not of the mind. Our faith is not of what we can figure out. Faith is of the heart, right? Faith is of the heart. And once we really allow faith to develop in our heart, it begins to come out our mouth. And once faith is in your heart and in your mouth, it becomes incredibly powerful that the things that we say really begin to be a creative force, a mountain-moving force, a force that really uproots things that have taken place in our life and begins to uproot them, take them out, obstacles that have been created, moving them out of the way. Faith is a place where we speak the future that God has planned into our life. And so many times when it comes to sickness and disease, really something down the line got planted in us. Might be our history. Great-grandmama had that. Grandma had that. Mama had that. I'm probably going to have that. Well, that's something that got planted in you that's deep-rooted. But faith can reach down in and get a hold of the sycamine tree and pull it up by the roots. Right? Faith of the heart can reach down into things that have been there for a while. They've even been there somewhat generationally. And faith in God can break that which the enemy planted years ago generationally and reached down and uproot it. Amen? And that's what we want to do is we want to uproot things according to the Word of God and believing in the Word of God. So, you know, just you know, a couple uh, months ago, I believe it was, as somebody was talking to me and we were dealing with, with situations there. You know, people want to solve or resolve a situation in their life. But most of the time, what we're doing is we're pruning issues in our life. Right? So something stems from something, and we're trying to prune it. And I don't know if you know this or not, when it comes to plants and trees, and my brother-in-law Mike is watching and so uh, from somewhere, so if this is wrong, he'll tell me later. But um, when you prune something, guess what? It grows back more. And so lots of times we're trying to manage our life and something's been planted and it comes up and now something that comes off of that, we don't like it. Whether in our body, whether from a relationship, in our family, in our marriage, now something has grown and we're like, man, we need to stop that. And we're pruning off and it comes back even greater, comes back even greater. But God said, you're going to have to go and get that thing at the root. You get that thing at the root. And so in order to get that thing at the root, you know, Jesus, he was talking specifically. They'd ask him about forgiveness. He told them, you know, you got to forgive somebody seven times seven. They said, oh, my God, increase our faith. <laughs> he said, man, if you just had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd say unto this sycamine tree, be uprooted. There's a whole teaching on the sycamine tree and how it was made for coffins and your unforgiveness will get death. But... Um, you know, there's things that your faith will reach into, even though it's been there a long time, and get it by the roots. But see, we don't, we, if we extend our faith, we get that by the roots. Sometimes that's sickness and disease. We need to go get it by the roots, but we're just trying to prune it off. And then all of a sudden, things come back greater. 
Well, faith doesn't want us to prune it off. Faith wants us to get it at the roots. Sometimes there's things you just, that, that's beyond my control. That has become, and it looks insurmountable in my life. But he said, listen, faith of the heart says to that mountain, faith in the heart with great confidence says to that mountain, you do not belong in my life. Right? So again, sometimes we almost sound proud of homesteading our generational mountain. Right? Granddaddy lived here. Great-granddaddy lived here. Papa lived here. We just live on this mountain, this obstacle that's been in our life. Well, God said, you know what? I don't want this obstacle to be here. So he said, I want to teach you about faith. Faith in the heart looks at that and says, that is not something God put in my life. So you can say to that obstacle, you need to get out of my life. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And don't doubt in your heart. Don't think God put it there for something. I like what Mark Hankin said. If you knew it was on the other side of your mountain, you'd move it. Sometimes we're just looking at that obstacle. That's all we've ever seen. But if you could see what God put on the other side of that mountain, you'd realize God didn't put that mountain there. The devil did. The devil knows what's on the other side because God put it there, and he's trying to keep me from stepping into what God has. So I'm just going to tell that mountain, be thou removed. Be thou cast into the sea and not doubt in my heart, but believe what I'm saying will come to pass. And it moves out of the way. So faith is a powerful force. It begins to move things, not just, you know, take a chip off the old block of the mountain, but it moves the mountain. It uproots the tree. It begins to do things. And really, it's uh, such a powerful, powerful thing in our life to understand faith and how faith works and how faith begins to create and bring things from the unseen into the seen. We said this this morning. You know, uh, Norman Vincent Peale said there's an invisible reservoir of abundance in the universe that's tapped by some spiritual law. Well, faith is a spiritual law, right? So all the unseen, we begin to draw from the unseen into the seen. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We were talking about last time we were together a couple weeks ago, how, uh, you know, we really need to set our gaze upon Jesus. It says Jesus was lifted up like the serpent on the pole. And uh, just as they would stop and look at the serpent, then they would be healed of the bites of the serpent. It says Jesus was lifted up. And then we just looked at that. That wasn't a passing, hey, we're passing by today. Hey, look, they set up a serpent on the pole and go on about your business. It was knowing that something had happened, that we had sinned, and because of that, something had crept into our life that was killing us, and they had to see that very thing and stop and look at it and let the image of that be impressed that now that's there because of what we did, and God would heal them. And so when we look at the price that Jesus paid on the cross, he's hanging there having paid the price for our sin, our sickness, our disease, our poverty, right? He's done that. So we set our, our gaze on him and everything that was purchased for our life. So 2 Corinthians, in chapter 4, verse 16, says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now is not a time to lose heart. 
Now is not a time, right? I like what uh, Sue said. She said, I'm, I'm encouraged. You know, if you watch the news, you could lose heart. But if you shut off the news and start to pray in the Holy Ghost, man, something starts to happen. And so he said, now listen, don't lose heart. One thing, you know, this is just a sidelight. When you look at this, when you begin to read that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, uh, just understand this, that the apostle Paul was not living in that moment in a church that had been established for generations in a country that was democratic who had a great Christian leader leading them. No. They were raising up the church in Corinth, which was a pagan culture, anti-Christian culture. He said, listen, don't lose heart at what's going on. Because if the believers don't lose heart at what's going on, that we can begin to see what God has done and God is doing, there's a transformation that sets us apart. And when we're set apart, when we're sanctified for God's use, there are people out there who are looking for what will fill that emptiness in them. And when they see us fully filled with him and set apart from the things of the world, there's a draw that brings them and allows us to have an influence for Jesus in their life. And we could share it practically. So he said, therefore, don't lose heart. Even though your outward man is perishing, let your, uh, yet your inward man is being renewed day by day. Come on, now life is going by, and you can tell something's going on in your outward man. Right? Something's going on. But there also should be something going on in your inward man. Right? Though your outward man had all kinds of energy all the time, and now it doesn't have as much energy, your inward man is being renewed day by day. And the phenomenon of that is, is although we may get older and we may have to uh, look at some things differently, at the same time, the Bible says that if our inward man, and we allow it to be renewed day by day, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in us will quicken, make alive, energize our mortal body by the spirit that dwells within Come on, living according to the flesh will wear you out. But living according to the Spirit will energize you for whatever God has for you next. He quickens our bottle. He said, so you're renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Most of us don't look at a light affliction as producing anything good. But Paul always looked at trouble and affliction as an opportunity to believe God and grow. Have you noticed that? Right, Romans 5, he said, listen, we are walking in faith and standing in grace, and yet there's still trouble. But we glory in trouble, knowing that trouble produces perseverance and perseverance character character hope he said listen there's something that going going on here so i'm not going to get discouraged at trouble i'm going to glory in trouble right he's being bombarded and he says i asked god three times 
to take this messenger of Satan away from me. I asked God three times, and wouldn't you know God didn't do anything except say, Paul, my grace is sufficient. And so sometimes we look at that and we even think, well, God sent the messenger of Satan. No, God didn't send the messenger of Satan. It was a messenger of Satan, not a messenger of God. The devil came to stop Paul from doing what God called him to do, and it was irritating Paul. The devil was irritating Paul, and he said, God, why don't you do something? And God said, I already did something. I gave you grace. And Paul went, oh, yeah. Come on. Paul had an impartation from God. He had a divine influence from the Holy Spirit that showed him what he was supposed to do. He was empowered by God, and he realized, man, when I rely upon the grace instead of my own strength, wow, there's something supernatural that's going on. When I don't worry about the messenger of Satan, I look at the grace of God, wow. When I don't pay attention to everything that's going on that's wrong, I give attention to God, wow. Come on, I'm just putting a little bit more tra uh, a modern translation. He just said, wow. Once I realize the grace of God, I glory in my weakness. Next time the devil tried to mess with Paul, he, he maybe thought different. Because then all of a sudden he'd mess with Paul and Paul would go, glory to God. Here comes the grace. He said, I'll glory in my weakness. We can take a lesson from that. All of us. Right? But right now, the enemy, he's trying to, whether it's on the news, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your family, he's trying to cram so much stuff in to get us to look at what's going on and go, God, when are you going to do something? And he says, I already did something. And there's grace for you to move through this time and this season. Then we're like, God, what's going on here? God didn't say, you know what? I don't know. I'm a little bit confused. I really had a much better year for you to live in as my church. No, he didn't do that. He said, you are exactly the right people in the right place, in the right year, the right decade, and the right generation to do what I want to do on the earth today. Right? Sometimes we're like, why God? And once we realize, like, ha-ha, it may look like there's a whole bunch of sin abounding. But we know that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Not that we should sin. There's already enough sin to go around. Right? That's the same thing he told the church at Rome. He said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. God came through Jesus and, and abounded in grace to forgive us of our sin. And they said, got a question? Paul said, I call on you. What's your question? Should we just go ahead and sin so grace should abound? He's like, are you kidding you flunked today's test. No, he said, wait a minute. Let me, let's review this. How, if you died to sin, are you going to live any longer in it? Don't you know that when you were buried in baptism with Christ, then you were also raised to a newness of life? Why would you go ahead and sin? You've already received grace. So we understand the grace of God that we live in. We can look out at the world and say, man, sin seems to be going crazy. But in the church, God is turning up grace. 
Not favor like we can sin if we want and grace covers it. No, he's bringing grace that is sufficient that when we look out at the world and say, man, I don't know if I can take this, God says, no, don't look at it that way. Look at the fields that are white unto harvest. And you're like, oh, my God, look at the fields. I mean, 8 billion people. My God, what are we going to do? He said, don't look at it that way. Look at 8 billion souls that are ripe unto the harvest. Then you pray the Lord of the harvest, and he sends laborers. And you say, well, if he calls me, I don't know. He says, no. When he calls you, you realize, whew, he just gave me grace to do it. And so I'll glory that there's 8 billion people because the grace of God is now rested upon me. Praise the Lord. All right, we'll try to get through this scripture today. All right, so he said this light afflictions, but for a moment, it's working a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The things which are not seen are eternal. The things which are not seen are eternal. The things which are not seen are are eternal. The things that we don't see right now are the things when people bring them up and you're like, man, I think that's impossible. But Jesus was addressing and saying what you don't see right now, if you'll put faith in me, anything's possible. Anything's possible. But too often we begin and, and you say, well, how am I going to see into the unseen? Well, by faith. By faith. See, this is a living, alive word of God. Hebrews 4 tells us it's alive, it's full of power, it's active. This word is active, it's alive, it has the DNA of God in it. And when we begin to look into the word, it has the power to create pictures. Come on, God gave us an imagination for something. And it wasn't to sit in math class and wander all over the place. But he gave us a God-given imagination so when we begin to read what Jesus did and what he's called us to do, and we see that we are free from sin, he can give us an imagination that I'm no longer the person that I used to be, but I see who Jesus was and begin to imagine how you live with that life of God. Begin to see yourself free from sin, free from the temptations that have dogged your tracks, free from the failures that the enemy has said, you'll never be anything because of your past. And see that past washed away in a brand new hope. What would I do if sin had never dogged my tracks? What would I do if I had never made that mistake? What would I do if I had never gotten into that relationship that turned sour and broke my heart? What would I do if I wasn't so worried about my kids? What would I do if I hadn't lived under that addiction that had affected my life so bad? What would I do? Seriously. Come on. We, God wants us to say, come on, you got to look at this in a different perspective. you got to let faith in God start to develop a different picture of who you are. What would it look like if I wasn't in pain? What would it look like if I wasn't concerned about that sickness in my body every single day? What would it look like if I was totally unhindered by that sickness? And God says he'll allow you by the Spirit of God to start to see 
into things that are not visible. I'm not talking about getting too wild and wacky. I'm just talking about very first just seeing yourself as God sees you. Seeing yourself as God sees you. Because he wants to transform our view of ourself. And when he transforms our view of ourself, we begin to see possibilities that we couldn't see before. Well, you can't, I can't do that because I'm hindered by, well, God, you don't understand. I can't because. And he says, wait a minute. I purchased your life by my blood. I've broken the power of sin. I've washed you. I paid the price for your healing. Come on, look at it from that perspective instead of your old perspective. When you see that the limitations have been broken off, what are the possibilities? What are the possibilities? So turn over to uh, Colossians chapter 3. All right, now I'm going to have trouble trying to wrap this up midway into my message. Colossians chapter 3. He said, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How many of you have been raised with Christ? Glory to God, most of you. So he said, if you've then been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above. So sometimes we don't know how to do that. We're like, I don't know what that means. I mean, we're trying to imagine heaven. But really, just think of it this way. How many of you believe there's sickness in heaven? No. So set your mind on heavenly realities. One translation says heavenly realities instead of earthly trivialities. Right? How many of you think the, the devil is killing, stealing, and destroying in heaven? How many of you think that people are sad in heaven? He said there's no weeping, there's no gnashing of teeth. Right? No sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no anger, no unforgiveness. Come on, set our mind on things above. Begin to see that through redemption, what things look like from above. And all of a sudden, when we get a view of what they look like from above, and we understand that, listen, he made a way for heavenly realities to come to earth through our faith. Through our faith. And so he said, what you look at or what you set your mind on is incredibly important. Heavenly realities instead of earthly trivialities. And so, again, James chapter 1, the moment we, we get to that point and say, man, I'm going to believe God. I'm just going to believe God for my healing. I'm going to believe God. I saw that. I saw myself. I saw myself serving God. I saw myself jumping up in the morning and worshiping God every day because I'm not, you know, I wake up in the morning and I kind of get around going, and you know what? I just saw myself jumping up and worshiping God because I'm going to start my day with God because I believe that's the right thing to do. Well, you can be sure that the devil's going to mess with your morning. Come on, I'm just going to believe God for my health. Just understand the devil's going to mess with you. 
I mean, sometimes as Christians, we get our mind wrapped up and say, man, I was doing just fine until I went to church and said, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to give my life to God. And then it was like, all hell broke loose. So again, James, some of these guys are kind of masochistic, I guess, if you say. James says, like Paul, Paul's always rejoicing in tribulation. James says this, rejoice. Rejoice when temptings, testings, and trials come your way. How many of you found yourself rejoicing at a trial lately? One or two of you, right? But we don't tend to. It's not our habit. We're having a good time, and the devil brings a trial. It's not our first response to rejoice. But if we get in a habit of looking at the right things from the right perspective, we'll recognize this is not God, and this is not me. This is a trial sent by the enemy, and I see it coming. Ha, ha, ha. And you begin to rejoice. Why would you rejoice? I saw it coming. There's a test, and I have the test key. I mean, we had a teacher at Rama. Uh, his name was Roy Sprague, and they made him give tests, but he didn't like it. I mean, he was a fire, re, fiery revivalist preacher. I love, he would, he would just tell us in class, he goes, all right, we're going to start class, and I'm going to give you a couple of nuggets of faith. That was his teaching. He would give us a couple of nuggets. And so, you know, my notebook, I still have my notebook, these nuggets, they were nuggets. So you write down two nuggets and, uh, for a day, and then he started preaching, and you just couldn't keep up with him. He's like, man, I'm just going to preach and impart the word of God, but they're going to make me take a test. So we knew when we went into his test, it was going to be a good day because he was going to give us the test and read it out loud and give us the answer. <laughs> now, that's a pretty good test if you ask me. Amen. He said, here's the test. Now, let's read that. So if you all don't know what goes in there, let me just tell you. And God's gracious in his word, you know. He's got a lot of things in there, and the devil will come to test you. And God says, well, you got the key right here. If you just trust me, you got the key right here. So if you know you got the test key, you have the answer, go ahead and rejoice at the test. And he said, the test might take a while, but go ahead. I'll give you the answer. I'll walk through it. And he said, because the test is doing something, the test is producing something. And what it's producing is patience. Everybody say patience. patience. See, we live in a society where patience, we say, God, give me patience, and could you give it right now? Because <laughs> I don't want to wait for it. But the test is producing patience. Why? Because patience is producing something. See, we don't like the test. Uh, Pastor Craig said that, you know, last week. He said, we don't like the fight. You know, as Americans, we don't like the fight. But there's a good fight of faith. So most of the time, we don't like the test. We don't like to have to wait for what's to come. But if we understand, listen, the devil's trying to get it, knock us out. But if he can't knock us out, then there's something in the test that's being produced. It's called patience. It's called waiting on God or waiting with God. And if we move every day with God, 
God has the answer to everything within that test. And so we navigate that test and we start to realize, wow, he's hitting this area of what I said I believed, but my character's not developed. He'll help me develop the character and the honesty and, and, and the strength and the authority to speak to that thing and to develop my life to that thing. And when I find out I'm done with the test, I've got an A plus, I'm complete and entire, lacking nothing. But most of the time when the test comes, we get mad and say, I'm out. I'm not taking the test. And so when we don't take the test, there's no way for us to grow. But God said, don't worry about the test. The enemy has no victory over you. So when the test comes and we know how to apply the blood and what Jesus has done for us to our life, we can pass the test. We come out complete and entire, lacking nothing. He goes on to say, you know, there in James, he said, when you're tempted with something that's evil, don't say that God's testing me with evil. God doesn't, God's not tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. Right? But each one is drawn away by their own desires and enticed. When the desire gives place to sin, sinful groan brings forth death. But don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes down from him. So he's, he's relating that in context to trials and temptations and coming through the other side and identifying where did this come from? Does this come from my own desires? It come from the enemy? But I'm going to pass the test. And when I do, every good and every perfect gift comes into my life, complete and entire, lacking nothing. All right, one last scripture. Turn over to Matthew chapter 14. So how does this apply if I'm having sickness in my body? We're about to get to that. Matthew, the 14th chapter. And we'll start in the 25th verse. It says, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come on. Come on out. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Wow. Come on, that's pretty amazing. But, there's that but. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? So really, he's instructing us here as we've gone through this. It doesn't matter, you know, whether it's emotional things, whether it's physical things, whether it's things that have been broken in our life. God wants to put them back together. He wants to heal our body. He wants to restore us emotionally in that strength. 
Many times we get to the point of, you know what? I believe God wants this for my life. Faith begins to arise. Jesus purchased this for my life. And so really we're like, God, do you want this for me? If you want this for me, I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to have my emotions healed. I'm ready to be put back together. I'm ready for that brokenness to be made whole. I'm ready to be healthy in my body. I'm ready. Just tell me to come. And he says, come on, come on, walk in health. And we get ready to walk in health, then all of a sudden, a bad report comes. All of a sudden, somebody does something that relates to that emotional disruption in your life. All of a sudden, somebody does something that causes you to totally identify with that brokenness. And we start looking at all that stuff and remembering all that stuff, and we begin to sink. And God says, there's got to be a place where you identify me. Jesus got out of the boat looking at Jesus. And as long as he looked at Jesus, he could have walked on the water all the way to Jesus. But the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. Come on, when it, when it comes to healing, when it comes to deliverance, when it comes to freedom, when it comes to wholeness... If we look at Jesus, if we set our affection, our mind, our attention on heavenly realities, what has already been purchased. Next week we'll talk about this, um, uh, really, the, the tenses of, uh, of our life in Christ. Things that have already been done. That if we're not careful, we're waiting for them to be done, but they're already done. But we begin to look at Jesus and see Jesus. We begin to set our mind on things above, on resurrection life, on the change of life, being forgiven, seeing ourselves forgiven, set free, delivered, made whole, and prospered. We start to walk as if we are forgiven, set free, delivered, made whole, and prospered. Come on, I don't know about you. Have you ever paid off a car? Some of you, you know, you're in perpetual paying off cars. But if you've ever paid off a car, how many of you have ever paid off a car, and even though you paid it off, you just decided, I'm in pretty much the habit of making this payment to the bank, and so I'll just keep on making the payment? Or how many of you rejoice and go, this is no longer the bank's car. This is my car. I'm so happy I own this car. Now listen, if we can figure that out with a car and not keep writing a check to the finance company, then how, how come we can't see the debt paid and that the devil no longer has a lien on our life? But we belong to him, right? We see our car paid for. We see that thing come. We see that title come. It has our name on it. We're like, woo, it's my car. But yeah, one of the translators said, Hebrews chapter 11, 1, that faith is the title deed. Faith is the title deed to the thing you have an expectation for. So he says, our, our vision, our vision, what we're looking at, what we're setting our attention on is so important. And when you set your attention on Jesus, it'll get you to step out. But the enemy will say, you can't do that. 
I believe what started in Peter's mind, we'll find out when we get to heaven. But he jumped out. He's looking at Jesus. Jesus is doing it. Why can't I do it? And the moment his feet hit that water, the devil said on the inside of him, you can't do this. And he thought, maybe I can. And instead of looking at Jesus going, if Jesus can do this, I can do this. He started looking at the waves and the wind. But now let's, let me ask you this question. Do you think that the winds and the waves just started after he stepped out of the boat? They were already there. But somehow he looked past the storm and saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he totally ignored the natural circumstances that were around him. But then the enemy got him distracted to start giving more attention to the natural circumstance, the sickness, the brokenness, the woundedness, and he began to sink. That which faith held him up and put something underneath to support him, he pulled out from under by getting his eyes on the circumstance. Come on, I know that we know this, but I believe it's a time to begin to see beyond the natural circumstance, to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth, because we died to the things in the course of this world, and we raised to a life with Christ. And to see what he did, he bids us come. These works that I've done, even greater works than these shall you do also, because I go to my Father. And we're like, woo, we want some of that. And he says, come on out of the boat. A lot of people are jumping out of the boat, but then they're like, wait a minute, I can't do this. Look at this storm. He said, get your eyes off the storm. It was there at the very beginning. You know, similar, similar analogy. Sometimes, you know, we're believing God for finances. God's blessed us real big. We're incredibly happy. We're praising God. We're thanking God. We're, woo, God's prospering me. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're, we're rejoicing, testifying on Monday or Sunday. And Monday in the mail, we get an unexpected bill. Oh, God. Oh, God. This bill. Oh, God. Now listen, I, you probably don't know this, so this will be a revelation to most of you. That bill was actually already in the mail while you were rejoicing at prosperity. It manifested, and you looked at the bill and lost your joy. But you already owed the money. The bill was in the mail. While you were rejoicing at the prosperity of God, when that bill came, you should have said, you must have known it was coming. So you blessed me to pay this bill. Instead, we're like, oh, God. But it was already in the mail. See, some of that stuff, the storm was already going. Stuff's already going. And we're like looking at Jesus, and all of a sudden, like, where did all this come from? It was there. You just weren't focused on it. Or you're always focused on circumstances, and Jesus has been there all the time. That's where we focus. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you and we magnify you.